You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Uh oh, look here, I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that son gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Edge, which is the weekly podcast of the Bass Edge television show airing on the Versus Network every Wednesday and Sunday mornings. I am your host, Aaron Martin. Over the next hour, we are going to be speaking with BASS elite angler Jason Quinn. And then in the uh, second half of the hour, we are going to do a special interview with J.R. Isom, whom was actually my partner um, at the ROT tournament at Table Rock Lake on May 12th, in which uh, we were able to actually qualify for the Forest Wood Cup uh, and the opportunity to fish for a million dollars. So we've got a little bit of special report there. Also, I will be announcing the winner of our weekly giveaway, as well as tell you how to get in on the action. And finally, we will head to the mailbag and answer this week's listener email question. But first, I wanted to uh, just take a few moments, and you know, I think it's this time of year, especially when we are out here able to fish, and uh, you know, the the fish are biting. Some are are still on bed, but coming off the bed, and you know, they are just absolutely going nuts. I think it's very easy to to lose sight of the fact that we have several men and women uh, serving in the armed forces and um, our troops who you know are currently on foreign soil rather but uh, you know I really can't even imagine begin to imagine what it's like uh, to be away from the ones that you love and care about as well as not having you know the ability to pursue um, your passion of fishing so from all of us here at Bass Edge thank you so much uh, for all that you do um, and all that you have done, and we just wanted to to give a special shout out to to all of you guys, and and thank you so much for everything that you do. All right, there is still a tremendous amount of action ahead, so my next guest it will be Jason Quinn in this week's Angler Spotlight right after this short break. You've got the truck, you've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 tow and pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. All right, my next guest is actually Jason Quinn, uh, who is currently a BASS Elite Pro Angler and had the opportunity to catch up with him at a uh, reception that was held not too long ago. So let's head right to the interview with Jason. Jason, thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, you know, it's, it's really a pleasure to, to have you be a part of the Bass Edge podcast today. Um, just really wanted to ask uh, a couple questions and maybe you can help us understand a little bit about how you got into the sport you know how does a person go from uh, i think you were involved in the, the machine works am i correct yes. on that yeah. prior to this how does a person go from that to all of a sudden being a professional <laughs> fisherman <laughs> mine was kind of unique you know uh 
my family owned a machine shop business. Uh-huh. So coming up through high school and everything, I kind of worked there during the summer times. And uh, I also run a guide service on the lake. Okay. And, you know, the more I thought about what I wanted to do for a living, the more I just kept going fishing and fishing tournaments here and there. And I just kind of ended up here. I never really knew what I wanted to do. And uh, so it was kind of, I just ended up here. I knew I didn't want to work in a machine shop. Sure. So uh, it just kind of fell in place. How, you know, with your involvement of, of fishing, did it did it start out more from a from a hobby standpoint? Of, yeah, of just yeah, you know, it, I grew up there on the lakes, and I enjoyed it. You know, fishing kept me out of a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just the more I thought about it, the more I kept fishing, and I had no idea I wanted to do it for a living. Just and no just, desire there at all. And uh, it just kind of escalated into it. So did you start out more from the local levels as far as once you got into the competition and yeah, escalated I, from there? I fished a lot of local tournaments. Okay. Uh, the guide service, you know, I done real good in it, and I caught a lot of fish. I said, well, maybe I need to try this. I can make some extra money on the weekends. <laughs> Well, you've certainly demonstrated that that uh, idea or that plan has, has paid off in a, in a major way. Yes, it has. Because really, three and a half, four years, is that about the extent of that you've been pro, right? Yes, I, I fished uh, at the elite levels for about the past four years. Okay. So, actually, this is my fifth full year. Help us understand, if, if I'm just getting into the sport, regardless of age, mm-hmm. uh, young or old, but if I'm new to the sport and I want to go and enjoy myself at whether it be a pond or a lake mm-hmm. how can that be broken down uh, to where what advice can you offer uh, you got to make the trip short you know if, if you go out there and you're there for an hour and you're not catching anything then just leave it and come back in another time come back in the evening or first thing in the morning those fish are going to be active certain times of the day anywhere in the world and that's one thing you know I've got family and I've got kids that like to go fishing and that's what I try to do with them. I keep the trips short and simple. You know, use you know live bait if you need to, just to get the excitement and the encouragement up. But just keep the trips short. Okay, live bait, uh, another good way to, in your opinion. Uh, any thoughts there as far as? Oh yeah, well, especially you know when you got kids and stuff yeah. like that, trying to introduce them. You know, you're going to get bit on that. 25 to 1 on artificial stuff. And that's really what you're after uh, to introduce somebody is to increase the catch rate. So it makes you... That's right. You take them out there and and you let them sit for two or three hours with artificials and not get a bite, they're not going to have any interest in it at all. So then once what I call you've been bitten by the bug and now you want to try your hand at uh, getting into more of the the competitive uh, arenas, where's a good starting point to be able to do that? Um, You've got to stay focused. You've got to put a lot of time into it. Um, you know, it's a lot easier nowadays finding out a lot of knowledge, tips and techniques, and seasonal patterns. I mean, you've got access to the Internet, all these magazines, all these fishing shows. And, you know, it's, it's getting a lot easier to go out there and catch a fish because of all the instructional stuff that you have. Uh, when I was coming up, there wasn't that much stuff. You had Bassmaster Magazine, and that was about it. But now there's just so many types of information out there to go out there and catch a fish, and, and it's all good stuff. Mm-hmm. So do you recommend, you know, like you said, there is so much information. It's almost information overload. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you recommend starting with a particular technique and trying to perfect that, or do you recommend versatility? Versatility goes a long ways. Um, if you key in on one technique, that technique's not going to work all the time. Uh, just like, you know, the flippers out here on tour. Those guys are pretty specific techniques when they catch them, they catch them. And when they don't, they don't catch nothing. And so the key, one of the keys to my success is being versatile. You know, and I pride myself into that. So, I, you know, that's a big key. Going more into your style or, or your technique, um, 
tell us a little bit about what what that favorite style or what that favorite technique is. I, I grew up offshore structure fishing. My okay. dad always had time to take me striper fishing, and he always used his electronics and dialed them in. And that's kind of how I grew up fishing. Uh, the lake that I live on and grew up on is a lot of boat docks and a lot of shallow water cover also. But uh, I enjoyed getting out there on those river channel ledges and those points and offshore humps and finding those schools of fish. I'd rather pull up and catch them five at a time than having to catch one here and there. Okay. Well, now, so when you say offshore um, for the for the beginning angler, what does that, that mean exactly? It's anything that you don't see with the visible eye. It's using your electronics. It may be, you know, a hump out in the middle of the lake. You know, you might have a, a 30-foot bottom, but then all of a sudden it comes up and makes a little hump at about 18 to 22 or something like that. So it's any kind of variances that you have to use your electronics to find. Okay. And in doing that, how do you try and, and pre-locate these ahead of time uh, with maps and then utilize your electronics to come in after the fact? We do a lot of map study, but maps don't show a little bit of everything. Okay. Uh, it just comes down to time on the water and knowing your electronics and trusting them. Okay. And when it comes to programming your electronics, are they, obviously they sounds like they play a major, major role for you in, in doing this. Is this something that you have to learn your electronics inside and out, or can the average individual just, you know, turn the electronics on and, and go to work? With the technology they have nowadays, uh, low-range electronics, they've got it with. All you have to do is turn it on. That unit will work for you. Okay. Uh, back a few years ago, you had to dial them in a little bit here and there, but... Like I said, with the technology nowadays, they've got it took care of. Fantastic. Anybody can use it. Out of the hundred or so elite anglers, um, describe your interaction. I mean, is this kind of a, a group that you know that you all t talk? Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it, they're family. I okay. mean, you're on the road with them for you know all year long, and you're around them constantly. But then you know this sport's individualized also. I mean, we're not team based. You know, I make my money, and you make your money. Sure. So it's all individualized. So you got to kind of keep that separate. And, you know, tempers will flare every now and again, and that's part of it. You know, everybody's aggressive. Sure. You know, you want to go out there and do well and perform well, and you want to catch fish. I mean, it's, when it gets in your blood, I mean, you want that bite, you want to catch that fish. But still, all in all, it goes back. It's a very tight group of guys. They all get along pretty much. Okay. So it's, you somewhat check your egos at the door when you're, you're socializing, but when it's game on, it's yeah. every man for themselves. That's exactly right. Okay. Uh, is it commonplace for the elite anglers to share information um or yeah but, you know you work you work together with a couple guys um a couple guys that you can trust and stuff like that and then but you got to feel like you're getting something in return also you know you may get on a pattern while you're out pre-fishing that'll help your buddy out and if he had a hard practice and he needs to catch him then you can let him in on that pattern you don't let him in on exact spots and areas and stuff like that but you can say hey you know i'm catching them 25 feet deep on a big football jig you know on long tapering points you can go out and try that and see if you can get on something like that. Uh, so it's, in a way, you can tell them everything, then in a way you can't. you gotta, you still got to protect what's yours. What are your thoughts in, in moving forward as far as, you know, we've, we've really now had a full year mm -hmm. or a full season with the new Elite Series format. Um, so there's been some major changes with the rap boats, a, a, lot of, a lot of media attention as a result of that. What has been your take or your opinion on, on how that has worked for you and your sponsors? Uh, yeah, I think it's great. I mean, the sport has definitely grown by leaps and bounds. ESPN's done wonders. Uh, just requiring us to have a wrap truck and boat gives a lot of the non-endemic sponsors, you know, an idea to get out there and say, hey, we can do this for this much and get this return. And uh, that's where Evan Williams came into it. They seen the value that they were going to get out of it, and uh, they jumped on it. Okay. Um, so you felt like, felt like for yourself personally that that not only has helped yourself, 
escalate up the the ladder of, of professional fishing, but it's also been a, a huge asset for, for your sponsors as well. Oh, yes, it definitely has. I mean, and one thing, it helps me relax to go out there and fish. No, I don't have to compete for, you know, paycheck to feed my family every week. Sure. And, uh, you know, the other guys that's got the money, sure. they can afford it. Days of maintaining a job or an outside profession, uh, out external of, of fishing professionally, mm -hmm. are those days over? Those days are pretty much over with. There's still a couple guys still trying to hold them down this year. But uh, there's just no way possible, no way possible at all. I mean, I have a very lucrative guide service, and you know I could guide about 365 days a year, and this year I've not done any. And right. I could have booked, I could have booked 365 days, and you know that's good money, income when you're home to guide. But you know you're not home enough to do any of it right. now. And then of course you have a family. Um, yes, I do. And you said that they travel with you. Mm -hmm. Is that, uh, in your mind, is that what helps make? make yeah. it work by them being That's very able. important to me. I mean, without having them there, I couldn't do it. You know, they're, they're my support. Sure. Um, walk us through a tournament practice preparation. In other words, there's, you know, I think we get caught up mm -hmm. sitting from the sidelines of just looking at and saying, you know, that's the greatest thing. You know, you get to, to fish these tournaments and be on TV. But there's so much work and effort mm -hmm. that goes into other than just, you know, the days of the tournament of which you're out on the water. Right. Help us understand, you know, from reservations to tournament mm -hmm. tackle preparation. Walk us through a little bit of that. <laughs> That's hectic. <laughs> when you go from one event to the next, when I get home, uh, first thing I do is get online and try to find out reservations. I like to rent houses. There's some of us rent houses. My family comes to a lot of the events also. Okay. So we try to rent homes on the lakes. Okay. So once that's done, then we do map study. We, I look over the maps, and if I've been there in the season that we're going in, and then I kind of break it down on what kind of techniques that I will be using. So there's a lot of preparation into that. And then when you get here, you've got to look at the lake levels, if they're going to be pulling any water, if they've got any rain forecast. Uh, there's a lot goes into it. And it doesn't turn into a 9-to-5 job. It turns into a 24-hour-a-day, 7-day-a-week job because you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, well, have I got this? Have I got these certain drop shot worms that I need? And if not, you've got to go get it or you've got to get it flown in here from somewhere. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be mentally prepared coming into this and know what you're going to have so you don't have to worry with that during the tournament and during official practice. How long during official practice, how long do you normally stay on the water? Uh, the first two days of official practice is sun up to sundown. I maximize every little bit of time I've got out there. And then the third day of practice, we have briefings and stuff like that. So I usually cut it short to about a half a day. I'm usually, I usually try to find out what I'm going to be doing and pattern the fish by the second day of practice. Do you set the hook during practice? I do the first day of practice. Okay. I'll catch a few fish just to see. And then I'll kind of utilize those patterns around other parts of the lake just to see what's happening. And then on the, the second day, um, do you bend your hooks over or do you or clip, them off. clip them off? Yeah. Or, okay. Um, how do you manage fish? You know, we, this is a, a popular term. Uh, for the course of the four days, you know, obviously you only have three days mm -hmm. to practice. Right. So you're actually fishing a day longer than what you have the ability to practice. It sounds to me it's actually two and a half days right. based upon your your tournament prep. Um, but how do you stretch those fish out over the course of three days? And, and that's tough to do. <laughs> uh, but like I said, the first goal is just you got to think in your mind you want to stretch them out for two days. Okay. You know, first the first day you don't want to go for broke. You don't want to go out and catch try to catch 25 pounds. You want to catch enough to where you're comfortable. And then see where you're at after that first day coming into it. Like this tournament here, I mean, a good bag here, a really good bag with uh, with us guys coming here is probably going to be around 12 to 13 pounds for the first day. That's going to be a good bag. Somebody's going to catch a bigger bag, but that's going to be a good, consistent bag. And if you can find you a couple areas that you can catch that 12 to 13 pounds, 
you go in there and catch you five and leave and then see where you're at and then go back in there second day and you'll know what you need to do mm-hmm. and then you can kind of stretch it out from there okay so beyond the mental and the tackle preparation the reservations how important is nutrition and fitness in in your career it's very important but some of us like me I like in that department <laughs> big time. <laughs> so, but obviously you spend a lot of time on the water. And I do. Certainly, there's probably no better preparation than the amount of time that you spend on the water because you're on the amount of calories that you're burning. Exactly. I'm sure, especially in the heat. What about as far as your schedule? A person like yourself has had obviously some experience because you have been on the tour for a while. Mm-hmm. But still, you're traveling to I'm sure new lakes that you know that either a you have never been to or probably don't have a lot of time on how does a person dissect new lakes even from a non-competitive situation let's say if i'm going to book a fishing trip how do we how do we break that down uh pretty much season season wise uh location in the part of the united states that you're going to and if it's been a normal typical year uh, i look by rainfall uh, typical seasons i mean just for instance Kentucky Lake and Grand Lake. I've never been there before in my life. Uh, I knew it would kind of play into my game because I'm offshore structure fishing. The tournaments were in June, and so I kind of felt like that was going to play a role in what I like to do. So I didn't really worry about it until I got there. And when I got there and I've done some map study and seen some areas that looked good, I knew that uh, most of the fish would be postponed coming out to their summertime patterns. And so I just kind of utilized it to that, and it worked out real well for me. I had two good finishes there. Then taking that I guess you just try and duplicate that same system everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. Um, and you're always having to look ahead to, to the upcoming event, although yes. we've heard, all heard the expression, fishing in the moment. You know, you still have to be focused, but yet there's always that, I'm sure, in the back of your mind of, okay, I've got to be here next, and, you know, we've got to have these baits, and we're uh, transferring to a different part of the country, so mm-hmm. on and so forth. So I'm sure it's, it has to be very mentally challenging as well. It's very mentally challenging. The uh, one thing about practice is you could find too many areas, and you'll want to cover all those areas during a tournament. And a lot of times you'll be leaving fish to find fish, and that'll hurt you a lot. Sure. Decision making, uh, key. Very key. Okay. It's very key. Is that always changing, or is there a way to adopt a, a system, if you will? Well, uh, it, it just depends. I know earlier in the season when we started out on Amistad, you know, the water was kind of cool, and you tend to fish a little bit more faster because you're jacked up and you're ready it's the first term of the season you want to have a good showing uh, you've got opportunity to catch a lot of fish and a lot of big fish but what I found out there is the more I fished I caught a lot of little fish and then I would go to another place and keep catching those little fish what I kind of found out about the third day of practice is if you waited those little fish out then those bigger fish would move in once you got all of them out of the way and that, that kind of played a key role and my decision making during the tournament. And that is a, an experience um, that you found out just by simply waiting it out versus thinking that, well, obviously I'm only catching small fish. Exactly. I, need to move. I knew the big fish were there, and it was just a matter of waiting them out. How do you, how do you dissect grass? Grass is, I like fishing grass. Grass is a whole separate entity itself. I mean, it's, it can be very frustrating. Guys that don't fish grass struggle. Um, I like fishing grass. I like fishing uh, matted hydrilla. I like flipping it. Um, I like milfoil. Any type of vegetation you got produces oxygen. And those fish are going to be in it anywhere you go to. And it can be some of the most rewarding and best fishing you've ever done in your life. Um, The way I approach it is it just depends. If you go to somewhere like Okeechobee in Florida or if you go, you know, up north to Champlain, 
You know, those millpool beds up there, those guys caught them. But it's totally different because you've got deeper edges in places like Champlain versus Okeechobee, which is a bowl, and it's all shallow flipping vegetation. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, like in places like Florida, you want to mix a vegetation. Two or three types of grasses mixed. Up north, places like Champlain, you key on millpool. Uh, so it just kind of depends on where you go. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little bit different. But a guy can compete if he studies and reads grass and reads the different types of grass, and when it plays a key role in that fishery, then it can be really rewarding. So when an angler pulls into, and you have these a grass mat, mm-hmm. how do you know if they're on the outside edges of it or if they're in the middle and you have to punch, you know, use a big jig to punch right. through? Is that just trying it? <laughs> most of the times, um, most of the times they're going to be on the corners of the mats. But occasionally, for instance, at the Potomac, at our event at the Potomac, I fished for two days, grass fishing. I flipped an ounce and a half, weighed in there with 80-pound braid. I flipped, I ain't catch crap in two days, you know. And I got a little frustrated. And the third day of practice, I said, well, you know, I said, I'm going to keep flipping. I pulled into this one big mat that was maybe uh, probably 30 by 30. Not a real big mat, but a a decent-sized mat. It had four foot of water underneath it. But the outside flat getting up to it was only about a foot and a half deep. And once I got on top of it, it made a little hole underneath its mat. So I flipped in there and boom, I caught a three-pounder. And I usually don't set the hook and practice on the third day. But I caught a three-pounder. I said, that's pretty good. So I flipped back in there and I caught another three-pounder. <laughs> I'm like, this is really good. Yeah. I said, you know, I've not caught anything I'll practice. I'll just start here see what happens. So the next morning I go out there and I flip my big ounce and a half, flip a crawl in there and boom. I catch 50 keepers that day of the tournament. And I'm like, off of one mat. And it's something that I wouldn't have stayed there and caught them, but I'd catch some same-size small ones, and then I'd catch a three-pounder. So the fish were mixed up in this one mat, and I knew, I said, well, this is pretty good. So instead of going and looking for something else like I should have done, I didn't. I stayed there the whole practice day. I mean, not practice day, but tournament day, and I caught them. Second day, I said, well, I'll go right back over there and see what's happening. I caught 50 more keepers. And... When that tide would switch, those fish were coming up on that flat and getting under that mat and just sitting there on slack tide and waiting for the tide to move. And the third day, you know, I made the cut for the third day. I went right back over there. I caught 50 more keepers a day. And I brought one gallon of gas in three days of the tournament. Cheapest tournament, probably the yes, one of the was. most rewarding. <laughs> yes, it was. And one of the most frustrating practice-wise. Yeah, sure. Top water and grass. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people think that grass does not you know present the opportunity to fish topwater yeah tell us a little bit about that. Uh, you know you can you know your soft blades like the zoom horny toad or the reaction innovations trixie shark or the gambler cane toad which is one of my favorites um you can fish that weedless through that grass and it works really well but i miss a lot of fish mm-hmm. i like to set the hook too quick sure and you can actually put a little old 16th ounce true tungsten sinker in front of those and it kind of keeps the nose down a little bit better and it, it'll help your hookup ratio but it's just something that you know, I just I don't like doing because I feel like if I'm going to catch them on that, I better be getting 20 or 30 bites to catch five. Where do you see the sport of bass fishing five years from now? Um, you know, two years ago, it was starting to grow, and then look at it this year. Look where it's came. You know, you've got a lot more fan base. It's out there everywhere now. In the next five years, I see it ranked right up there with NASCAR. You know, it took NASCAR a while to get there, and once it did, it happened. And I think that's where you see this going. So do you see the tournament purses increasing uh you see the amount of individuals trying to get into the sport increasing you see an expansion across the board pretty much i do i see an expansion across the board 
the the non-endemic sponsors that some of us have, seeing the value this year that they got, and it was pretty phenomenal. And it's got a lot more non-endemic sponsors calling around right now to see what this rage is all about. Say, hey, we want to get into that. And there's some great opportunities fixing to come about for a lot of anglers. And if they'll just hold on for another year or so, it's going to be pretty amazing where the sport goes. Any any moments of to when you don't enjoy the sport or? When I'm not catching up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's all the time we have, Jason, on the, on the podcast. Really appreciate your time. And uh, you've obviously demonstrated that you are a major player in this. We look forward to uh, the upcoming season and wish you the best of luck. Thanks. Thanks a lot. We need to take uh, just another short break, and then we will be back to announce this week's winner of the product giveaway. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Welcome back to The Edge with your host, Aaron Martin. Welcome back to The Edge. Each week, we uh, give away some great prizes in which are provided by our sponsors whom we randomly draw from all the received entries. And to register for that, all that you need to do is uh, just send us in an email to podcast at bassedge.com with the subject line listed as product giveaway, as well as list your name and address within the body of the email. So this week... We have one of those prizes that I've been promising you that you don't want to miss. Of course, they're all good prizes, but this week we have a special treat, which is a full-fledged keel guard from MegaWare Keel Guard, who makes um, not only the keel guards for the keel of your boat, but they make uh, skeg pros to protect your motor skeg of your drive motor, as well as scuff busters, which go there where the winch strap connects uh, to the turnbuckle on the boat, as well as the buckle guards for the tie-downs, just a, a lot of great products and innovative products that have came out of that company. So the winner of this week's prize package that is valued at around $160 goes out to Troy from Interlation, Florida. So congratulations, Troy. We will get uh, that keel guard shipped out this week, um, and uh, you will not be you will not be disappointed. Okay, let's head to our listener email section where uh, each week here on the edge. We go to um, answer listener questions that are submitted by all of you uh, to help all of us grow, and we throw those out to uh, the Bass Edge Pro staff to give us some feedback on that, as well as I'll have some input. But if you send us a question, we automatically enter you into the weekly drawing. So please, if you have a question that you would like answered, uh, again, chances are you're going to be helping us all out by sending that in. And simply send that to podcast at BassEdge.com, and uh, you can just put on there listener question. But this week's question is from Joe in Natchitoches, Louisiana. And his question is, is that I love to fish both competitively as well as rec- recreationally. Uh, can you please provide some tips on how to gain some sponsorship? It seems as if the opportunities are few 
and far between. So, Joe, uh, that is a, a great, great question and a great concern, so much so that I actually threw this out to and kind of got a group consensus from several people. Uh, so this is going to be a hodgepodge of, of opinions and that that comes from everybody. But more or less, you know, gaining sponsorship is a lot like um, trying to find biting fish. You know, and, and the misconception in sponsorships is that many, so many people think that it totally depends on where you finish or how well you can fish uh, in tournaments. And although obviously they want to see, you know, some success and the podium time, those type of things, but, you know, really that's, that's not at all uh, the case. You know, sponsors are looking for someone whom not only matches their culture, but is well-spoken and extremely presentable, but is also in the public eye, uh, has the ability to help promote their product or service, you know, and that's really, you know, when you hear pro staff, um, yes, it does mean professional, but it also means promotional. And that's really what, you know, companies, um, you know, are looking for is how can they gain more exposure and create a relationship with their end user. And if you are in a market, per se, in fishing, uh, of which somebody uses something, then that is a direct link or an extension of their company that you can be for them. So it's about creativity, coming up with creative ideas. But I suggest, you know, looking at companies whom you use their product or service on a daily basis so that the story is very easy for you to tell to others. Um, you know, in addition, consider their current efforts and brainstorm then on some ideas that you might be able to help them create additional awareness for for their products or service. You know, you don't necessarily have to use everything um, within the fishing industry, and that's what's called endemic sponsors. You know, get outside of a, a little bit, and because there's so much exposure, bass fishing fans and participants are very, very loyal to companies that support their, their passion. And, and to give you an example of that, you know, one of, one of our sponsors is Mother's uh, Polishes, Waxes, and Cleaners. And, you know, they started in just that way. You know, we used their products for years. Um, I did, at least on the, the truck and the boat. And they were adding a specific marine line. So there was need to gain additional exposure. But bottom line is, set yourself apart and know what is unique about the potential sponsor and keep asking and opening doors. You know, if somebody tells you no, keep the relationship. Don't burn bridges. But, um Stay out there and stay active, and I can assure you that if you stay with it and continue to do those things, you know something is going to um, something is going to pop up. So, anyway, thanks for that great question, and don't forget to send yours in. We need to take our final break, and when we come back, we have a special report with J.R. Isom concerning our recent victory uh, that qualified us into the Forest Wood Cup. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space of my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's tackle system by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. All right, welcome back to The Edge. I am joined by a good friend of mine and also happened to be partner uh, for the week of May 12th for the Ranger Owners Tournament in which we were able to walk away with a victory at Table Rock Lake on May 12th uh, that actually gave us a berth into the Forest Wood Cup. JR, thanks so much uh, for being here. Thank you. You know, 
Jerry, you and I's history go back goes back rather a long ways as far as when I used to work for you uh, uh, as a teenager as a dishwasher. But more importantly, you know, we've had the opportunity to be able to fish some tournaments uh, together down through the years. Why don't you talk a little bit before we get into the actual tournament day of how you actually got into the sport of fishing? Well, I, I guess I have to thank my dad for that. Uh, he he didn't tournament fish, but. He started taking me fishing when I was a pretty small kid, and and uh, uh, he used to go, he he couldn't he didn't like to day fish. He always liked to night fish and sit on the on the bank of the Merrimack River and and catfish at nighttime. And and uh, I can to this day I can still remember the Coleman lantern and the, all the little mayflies burying the lantern, just flying into it and burying the lantern and sit there all night. And the uh, coons would come up and remember one time Coon had his arm stuck in there, his head looking at us like I'm um, taking these minnows, but but it just, uh, that's kind of where it started, and and then <clears throat> I got away from fishing for a lot of years because I was too busy trying to, to build a business, and uh, then in the early 80s, I fished a tournament with a fellow, and we took seventh in that tournament, and I thought, I needed a bass boat, so I bought a bass boat, fished two or three tournaments and didn't fish quit fishing for 10 years and went back to fishing in 1997 or 98 and started tournament fishing again uh three or four year and then the last three years i've got into probably fishing 10 to 12 tournaments a year and uh, you, you just kind of pick around and try to find people you really like to fish with and and friends and people that are fun to fish with and and uh tournament fishing is really enjoyable if you don't let it stress you out yeah. well and, I, and you know you you point out something that's uh in my mind is very key and that's you know being able to find somebody especially if you're going to fish team tournaments or it doesn't even necessarily have to be you know as far as in a tournament if you're just going to go out and, and fish uh spend the day together fishing you know you've really got to find somebody that you work well together with and um you know that's going to make it work because it's it's a little bit of a relationship that's involved well that, that's absolutely true <clears throat> if you uh, uh you can take two of the best fishermen uh, there are uh around and put them together and they can be like oil and water and granted they can catch fish but sometimes it just doesn't seem like it clicks it's it, it you got sometimes you just got to shop around and find yeah, fish with several people till you find who you feel the most comfortable with and your everything just kind of comes together and and um, uh, one knows it's kind of like a well-tuned ball ball team one player knows what the other player is going to do before he ever does it right and bottom line it's about having fun i mean if you're going to go out there and get all stressed out i mean it's what's the point it, it, it this is supposed to be fun if you take the fun out of this then there's not any point in doing it so you really want to enjoy what you're doing here. And there's a lot to winning, but there's more to enjoyment. Sure. Well, and to fast forward now, you know, 2007, uh, obviously you're, you know, you're doing very, very well in the Strength Series. Uh, two, I guess, what are you, two or three events into it, and you're in the uh, somewhere around 60th, which is phenomenal. You're, you've got a, a legitimate run at the championship with a couple more events yet to go but now specifically you know we had the opportunity and there's a little story behind this that i think is 
uh, I'm going to tell one on myself, and that's the fact that you know you had asked me to fish this tournament way back when, and uh, you know I told you I couldn't for whatever reason. You held the spot, and you called me on the day that uh, off limits was about to go, and you just said, you know what, you need a day off. We're going fishing, and from that there's there's some interesting. You know I'm very thankful, obviously, that you did that and that we were able to do this. But go back and retrace for us, if you will, because there was a lot of things that had to work together and work out to come in with 21 pounds three ounces in a field of 277 boats and now fortunately for the both of us we actually have a shot to go to the forest wood cup uh the first part of august you'll be fishing for a million dollars i'll get to fish for fifty thousand so walk us back through that if you would well i called it i called as you know i called there and and uh and he has, you know, he has your, you have your show, and, and his, he's got scheduling problems. And, and I held this spot, and he says, let me check my schedule. And, and uh, we, we talked back and forth a little bit, and I was about to give up on him. And I wasn't going <laughs> to give up on him. Finally, I just called him. I said, hey, you have to make a decision here. Now, uh, let's get going here, and, and uh, you need to go fishing anyway. So, uh he finally conceded, and and uh, we decided to practice for this thing, and and uh, we decided to take two boats. Him, uh, he would go one direction, and I would go the other, and kind of cover a lot more water. And and uh, uh, I trust his fishing ability, and he trusts mine, so I trust him to go cover one end of the lake, and I'll go cover the other. And uh, then we come back and put a plan together, and. Uh, Actually, uh, we went to his spots because he had caught more fish than I had that day. Yeah, but the day leading up to that too, the fun, when we did split up, you had a really, really good fish. I mean, yeah, just... yeah, I had about an eight and a half, I eight, eight to eight and a half pounder. It was bigger than anything that we had during the tournament, and the biggest fish in the tournament weighed seven four. Uh, and actually, I have pictures of that. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you witnessed it. I yeah, brought it. Right. Uh, everyone throws their big fish back and hope they can catch it the next day. Not me. I throw mine in the live well and hauled over to the boat ramp to show my buddy that check this big fish out. <laughs> Just fortunately, we went back the next day and caught another big fish. Yeah. But uh, most of the time, when you do that, you uh, the next day you're going, why didn't I put that fish back? But uh, it worked out, and uh, it all worked out for the good, and and uh, we get to move on. And uh, it is. Uh, a very exciting feeling. Uh, was very overwhelmed at first, and and actually it didn't sink in for a couple days of what has transpired. And and of course everybody's calling me and telling me how huge it is. So I, I guess it's pretty huge. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but you know I look at there's there's a couple things in my mind that stood out. One was we were delayed you know basically an hour and 10 minutes that morning that was one thing that i think that was critical um as far as in in the journey there the second thing was of changing of the baits and then the final thing was in the last 45 minutes of making a decision so can you start out by talking about a little bit about you know the journey there with the fog delay you know did that impact your mental decision at all well you know we had a long run we had at least a 45 minute run and uh it, when when they took off, you could see, you know, rel- relatively decent. But as soon as we got in into mid lake, it got where you couldn't see three boat lengths. So 
my my GPS unit is to my left below my steering wheel. I can't hardly see it and drive and watch for other boats. So Aaron moved over and sit beside me, and he read the the. the uh, that was exciting. That was really fun, actually. He he uh, navigated, and we would go up the lake, and he'd go turn a little bit left, turn a little right. Now stay on that course, uh, just and uh, watch out for boats. I said, "Well, I'm watching, but I'm not I'm not seeing very far." But I we we didn't go very very fast. We just took our time, and we we uh, we were determined to get to where we were going. Uh, Thank heavens for GPS. If it wasn't for GPS, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have been there for noon. But the thing about GPS is that people have to remember is they don't keep you from hitting other boats. No, they are, are, are they don't keep you from being run over by other yes. boats. Yes, my biggest fear in fog is not me running into someone; it's someone running over me. Right. But uh, we did see, we did get past a couple of boats in the fog that we did see, but. Uh, the fog really didn't clear until we got almost to where we were where we were wanting to fish. Then when we got there, we started with Aaron started in front of the boat with his pattern because his bait he fished his bait was faster than mine, and um, his pattern wasn't working. And we fished it till about ten o'clock, and then we finally caught one on his pattern, but it it was so slow we changed up to. Uh, a different bait to a and they quit generating water on pr- during practice they yeah. were generating water yeah and uh and it had those fish pulled up into the spots that we were wanting to fish when they stopped generating water it pulled them away from there <clears throat> but anyway we we got up there and we decided to change up and and then i'd caught a, a pretty nice i don't know about a well first we caught about a three pounder on a, a football jig mm-hmm. and then we throwed it down and then uh picked up a shaky head and then i caught a, probably about probably close to six pounder on the shake so line. what in your mind right then and there you know to pick up because if you can imagine fishing in the river the water's a little bit stained compared to main lake table rock which is relatively clear but a shaky head is normally you know on eight pound test line is normally something you're going to use in clear water have you know that's not something normally you take to the river with you to pick up and throw a shape shaky head what caused you to pick that up and use that at that point it, I've got it on a seven-foot rod in that light line, and I just had better feel with it. I could, and for some, and <clears throat> I was using a three-sixteenths head, and it it just had the right fall to 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 uh, the uh, to entice the fish to bite. I, I yeah, believe. because the fish were holding really on on channel swings and ledges. Right, and and when when you drop that bait off, and now they did, we caught. I think we ended up catching twelve keepers that day, but. And we caught a lot of short fish, but uh, that bait seemed like it had to come off of there just the right way or they wouldn't touch it. Well, and you bring up another good point is that amongst the keepers that were being caught, we had to weed through the short fish, which is not yeah. something normally that's done. Well, the bad part about when you're catching a lot of short fish is is it's, sometimes you get aggravated and you think, oh, another little fish, and then, then you set the hook and it's a big fish, or you, you take the potential of... Of pulling a hook away from a big fish because you you think you've got a perch biting or a small bass and and you don't concentrate you're cut you you have a tendency to lose a little bit of concentration level so when a, when a person's into a lot of bites he needs to just sink the hook like he's got a big fish because you never know what's on the other end of that line but uh, we <clears throat> when we were fishing there we we fished around there and, and we we were it was getting a little bit 
it's hardly it's not aggravating when you're catching fish it's just you you kind of want to go hey little guy move on give me some big stuff here sure but uh once we once we got a limit uh which was around one o'clock we had about 12 pounds you know we had to make a decision and and this is this was a what was really in our favor which was probably the best thing that happened all day we had fished all of our spots and all the way back out to the mouth of a river. We got there and we had 45 minutes left. And you and Aaron and I, you and I had discussed this and we said, most of the time, most people, when they fish out their spots, they start fishing back towards the weigh-in. Well, our, we're 40 minutes from the weigh-in. We've got 45 minutes before we have to leave. We decided to go the opposite direction to go back to where we had been catching fish instead of trying to go find new fish. Well, it, it paid off. In 15 minutes, we doubled our weight, and we had a 7.4 in the deal uh, to start with. But I think we had about a 7, we had a 7.4, probably a 4 and a 3, and about 10 cast. And, and uh, we had doubled our limit in 15 minutes. Yeah. And uh, maybe maybe a little less than double, but pretty close. So on the, would you consider that the the fish that we were catching post spawn? You you know I looked at those fish and and uh, yeah I'd say they were post spawn. They all looked like they still had eggs. One of the big females had a bloody tail, but she looked like she still had eggs. Uh, I don't know if we dropped our bait down into a potential bed or just uh, you know I'm not sure because the water's kind of. Cl- was stained so we couldn't there was no way we could see a bed but those fish were in five to ten foot of water so i you know i think they were just just trying to move up to to spawn but where we caught those fish is not a likely spawning spot you know so talk a little bit about that well you know table rocks traditionally these bass like to to spawn on on gravel and pea gravel Uh, i mean they'll spawn on shelf rock or wherever they can get a nest but but they like pea gravel the best, uh, and we were fishing rock ledges. So, you know, I think these fish were just moving up the channel on those channel swings, uh, moving up, hunting a, hunting a place to spawn, and we just intercepted them, I believe. And there was, it was very critical to where, on these ledges, that basically the, the upper ledge was about, what, a foot underwater? Yeah. And then casting up to that and then pulling that bait off off of that ledge and letting it, it was it was very, very critical to it, pull. It almost had to drop vertical off of that ledge. It seemed like if it, if you dropped it and it, it swooped back towards us, they didn't bite it as good. But if you dropped it and just let it fall straight down almost on a free line, that's when they ate it. So, JR, in closing, because we're almost out of time, what, in, in a couple sentences or points, you know, what do you think was critical? Because to go out and win against 277 boat field, of which several of the guides, the Lakes Best, the Midwest region, there was people from all over the state to try and qualify into the cup. You know, in your opinion or in your mind, what do you think was critical to the success of, of that day? Uh, making right decisions. Uh, you know, everybody can make decisions and multiple decisions, but we just happened to be luck fortunate enough to make the right decisions. Chance the right picked up the right bait, and 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 the like I say the the key was deciding to go back to our fish instead of leaving them. 
that was the the most positive decision we made in the whole in the whole tournament because it doubled our weight. Uh, and a person can second guess themselves all day long. Uh, and most people who tournament fish and they go home on on the in the truck on the way home they go I shoulda coulda woulda. The the best thing to do is just do what you feel right is at the time, and and learn from your mistakes. So decision making, Jar. Obviously, there there's some other critical uh, players that that have helped you get to that. Anybody else that you want to thank before we close out? Yeah, I I really would like to thank Ranger Boats for putting this tournament on. Uh, it gives the average fisherman an opportunity to to. Uh, fish as big as you can go in in uh, the FLW and uh, uh, well you know that's a great point and you don't have to necessarily fish at the at the very upper echelon because the, an event such as this you just own the boat and you can what $150 a piece <laughs> you yeah. can have a shot at qualifying for something big and it was well, a first class event uh, they put uh, I think uh, FLW ran the, the tournament it was absolutely one of the best run tournaments i've been at and uh, uh the crowd was fantastic but the the can't say enough about ranger uh um, what they're doing for their boat owners yeah and it's just a great opportunity regardless of what your skill level is you know they gave away a draw boat so everybody have an, had an opportunity to win you didn't necessarily have to come in with a big bag but from my perspective i sure am glad that uh that you invited me and we had the opportunity to uh, to spend the day together, have a lot of fun, catch fish, and um, you know it's kind of a byproduct now that we get to go to Hot Springs, Arkansas, uh, the first part of August. So, Jr., once again, thanks so much uh, for being part of the Edge, and congratulations and uh, good luck, best of luck on the upcoming uh, events that's left within the uh, Strin series. Thank you, Aaron. Let's go have fun. <laughs> All right. That's uh, certainly that's an exciting way to be able to end this podcast. Uh, JR and I had a great time, and it was just uh, extremely satisfactory. But we are out of time, and I want to thank both Jason Quinn and JR Isom for making time for us this week. Uh, next week, another great show as we have Jeff Reynolds along with another product giveaway. So for additional and more cutting-edge information, make sure to visit the website, Tune us in on the Versus Network every Wednesday and Sunday mornings. But until next time, thanks for joining me, and I look forward to seeing you next week right here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edges, The Edge, has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Locker Bar Boat Security Systems, and MegaWare Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com.